We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Now for listeners who might not be aware, Uh, The four members of the team here were first united by not just their love of football and of sport more generally, but our love of travel and our love of seeing obscure football games in unfamiliar places. Now, we've done that previously, travelling to to Holland as a a quartet. And recently, Dave Jr. also got the chance to head to the Netherlands, taking his own wee boy over there to experience some football in Amsterdam. And Dave Jr., would you like to... Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So, I mean, this all stemmed from 2019 at Christmas. Uh, my son had really started to show a bit of interest. And in, I think, where's dad going with these guys every every so often? And why does he come back a stone heavier? Um, but the what actually been at that point was the San Siro was due to be knocked down. And we had... Uh, I thought it was a surprise Christmas gift. I would book tickets to go and see AC Milan um, in what should have been their last season at the San Siro. Again, a wonderful stadium that I've not been to. Um, I, I'm not sure about you gents, but it's one that I thought he would love on, on his list as well as myself. I thought we can fit in some some Calcio games uh, as you work your way down the league. Um, but as everyone knows, there may have been no worse time for me to book a trip to Milan when... Milan really was that coming February and March of 2020, the absolute epicentre of of COVID outbreaks. So naturally, all these things delayed, 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 delayed. And um, again, given by this point, I, I've been to Italy before and I thought that's a great experience. They must be used to a lot of tourists. Um, but as time marched on, I thought, where do I feel pretty comfortable with taking the wee guy, given that it's just the two of us? Um, and I thought back to our previous trips, which have focused on mainly Rotterdam, um, but this was a chance to maybe explore Amsterdam a little bit better. Um, so again, having used uh, our, our favourite app, so Footballogy, for those of you that don't use it, which it used to be called ground hopping, but foot, Footballogy is, is how it's pronounced, and, and you can find it, I'm, I'm sure, across all good uh, app systems, <laughs> across Apple and Android. Um I was able to look months in advance uh, just to see a rough idea of games. Um, unfortunately, uh, we were, I booked travel and it was meant to be focused around, we would arrive Friday afternoon, Friday night we could take in Ajax women, Friday, sorry, Saturday afternoon we could take in uh, the Ajax youth team and Saturday evening would be the Ajax full team and it was uh, coincidentally at three different grounds which would have been absolutely fantastic to take in all three sort of facets of the Amsterdam system um, but as time marched on Champions League or sorry maybe even Europa League duties kicked Ajax's game onto the Sunday um, and Friday night's game for the women 
due to a lot of delays that particular night when we travelled from Edinburgh, um, it meant that we could we were going to arrive in Amsterdam around about eleven at night. We so we sit, you know, we spent many hours in Edinburgh Airport, um, just kind of waiting for updates. And again, it's a good chance; it's a really good app that you can then just base your plans around uh, these changes. So going into the footballology app, I was able to to find a lot of games nearby our hotel the next day, um, and sort of move. Uh, with all the changes that were coming our way, we were able to, to move quite gracefully. Um, but bearing in mind, as we sort of progressed uh, at this point, regulations for COVID, you know, we, we all know that in the UK or in Scotland, they change on a week-in, week-out basis. Just imagine travelling uh, with all the different restrictions, not only for airlines, but for different cities within different countries and then trying to get into different stadiums. So there really is a little bit of trepidation. I don't think you know, COVID and its regulations aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So my one bit of advice would be to anyone listening, really have a good think, plan things out ahead and be, be ready for some real disruption because we did, we did face that. And that was uh, all the way through from, from traveling to the, the hotels, to the games, but even the likes of getting into a McDonald's in Amsterdam, which became our kind of fallback, you know what you're getting served. It's quite easy. They're, they're every hundred meters, um, but you had to even at McDonald's in Amsterdam present your COVID passport. And because I was outside of uh, not a Netherlands native, I had to actually bring my physical passport as well. So I, I did think at times. I wonder if this was Sucky Old Street at two in the morning. How are they going to, you know, would they ever introduce that in Glasgow or in the UK? Or if people just rocked up at McDonald's, would you be told, right, come on, whistle? You know, I'm, I'm going in, I'm, I'm coming in to get my Big Mac. Um, so it was quite quite daunting. Again, our first travel experience uh, across Europe, it really was. I was maybe going to ask you, Dave, you talk about the restrictions around the the, the restaurants and the hotels and f- travel and what have you. What Did you notice any difference getting into the games? And, and I know you were obviously, you weren't able to go to Eredivisie games, so you went a wee bit down the levels, but were, were they requiring you to prove vaccination or was there extra checks or sanitation or whatever? Um. The, the one game, uh, and we managed to attend a few games over the, the kind of 48-hour period that we were in Holland. Um, the one game that really merited anything was at Amsterdam FC, so not to be confused with, with Ajax. Um, and that was the only real ticketed game that we went to. So there was definitely, and again, you guys know, some of the listeners might not, um, but the facilities across all of the Dutch clubs we've been to um Naturally, the top, the top tier, maybe even the second tier, that's what you'd expect. And it's if you're thinking about going to uh, within Scotland, try to think about a second tier club in Scotland. Um, you can maybe go to Inverness or Kilmarnock and expect a good, you know, being looked after. But I would, you know, speaking on behalf of the four of us, I would say that even the the very lower league games we went to, you're always looking at some sort of maybe a local social club that's part of the club. We were always welcomed. I'm thinking about the Feyenoord, Feyenoord youth games that we went to, the fantastic setups that you had 
Um, and given the level of games that the wee guy and I went to were real sort of maybe 50 or 100 people at those games, the facilities, Alan, were out of this world at the lower league games. Uh, absolutely top class, drink, food, the whole the whole gambit for anyone looking to travel abroad. It's a great chance to, to mix with people. Uh, again, you guys know as well as I do, the fans, their English is better than ours at times, particularly after a few Amstel. Yep. Um, but uh, coming back to, to answer your, your question, the, the Amsterdam experience for Amsterdam FC, they, again, had really strict policies similar to McDonald's or the airports or any restaurant in that you'd have to present your passport at the game. Uh, make sure you get a mask on when you're entering indoors. But once you're in, you're in. Um, and it was really, uh, we talk about possible hold-ups in, in Scottish football, you know, as of tonight, I think there's been an announcement that fans are allowed back into games uh, when the, the matches resume at the top tier. And there's a lot of talk about how on earth can you possibly manage all these people and you can't check this. Well, there's countries around the world that do it very well. I think that we like to create problems at times. I'm sure it's not ideal, um, but solutions are there. Uh, and from my experience, it was, it was done really well. Uh, Dave might be pleased to hear that one of my son's favourite uh, foods from the whole trip became crockets. Uh, again, for listeners out there, uh, would it be would it be right saying it's really a variation of an old sort of potato croquette? Exactly, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you you were even able, and I think I sent the boys a picture. Um, but McDonald's have them on their menu, uh, a Mick Crockett burger uh, <laughs> with just effectively a potato, a big chip <laughs> inside a bat. Uh, but no, it was, it was really good. Thanks, Alan. Good. I didn't. I didn't realise McDonald's did a, a McCrockett. So uh, definitely something for the list when we next go as well. So so Amsterdam FC there in the Tweede Divisie, the third tier of Dutch football. So reasonably high, reasonably high level. How how did that? I mean, we've we've seen Erste Divisie most most famously at Dordrecht. Uh, so do do these teams have a chance of getting up and competing at the? The higher levels have got the infrastructure. I would say so, uh, particularly a team like uh, you know, Amsterdam FC, being the, the largest team we went to see. Great ground. Um, I mean, the main stand in itself, absolutely fantastic. Genuinely out of this world for a club of that stature. Um, and then you've got standing behind the goals, and on the far side, some sort of limited open air seating. Uh, but before the match, you know, you're treated to a huge fireworks display. Again, the the clubhouse, if I can call it that, mm-hmm. uh, for for proper drinks. Um, you know, not not like a pie stand or a, a bovril stand, but proper food, proper drinks for a you know a boys or girls day out out of this world. You could stand in there and you could watch the entire match if you wanted from from heat, from real comfort. Uh, just excellent and. The, the quality of football on that particular occasion, that was Saturday night, uh, and Amsterdam FC, so they, they spanked Spackenberg 5-1. But again, good quality of game, good players, um, no names that, you know, that I've recognised from years maybe dropping down the way, but a really good quality of football, and you'd think not too far away from um, kind of lower SPL or 
kind of upper championship in Scotland. Uh, impressive stuff. Uh, and, and you said it was a ticketed game. Did you have to buy a ticket in, in advance or is it like pay? Do they take cash at the gate these days or is it all? Well, um, good point. And again, it's another uh, little potential hazard, an even hazard. Um, we, I, I kept in touch with all the clubs throughout and that's weeks beforehand. I'd speak to them. Is anything changing? Do you need a passport? Do you need online tickets to be bought? Most of the grounds, because we're smaller, said, please just turn up. There's not even a fee to come in. Just just come in and watch. Right. Uh, if you spend anything, it, it's great. Um, and as I said, AFC were the only team that said there was a cost attached. Uh, and that was 10, 10 euros to yep. get in, which again, about £9. Pounds, would that yep. be, be about right? But £9, really great quality. Um, and I spoke to them beforehand and they said, yes, you can buy tickets online, but you can absolutely just turn up at the gate. So I'm thinking that's a, a good a good sign. Mm. Uh, even during these times, you could turn up and again, we presented, here's your passport, here's your vaccination passport. Um, and now the only, the only so hazard, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we suffered this on one, if not two, of our previous visits to, to Holland, many of the clubs seem to operate with the Maestro debiting card system. Uh, I used to have Maestro maybe 15, 20 years ago. That was part of the, the Royal Bank of Scotland bank account system. And I think we're all... Most cards these days are Visa, um, tend to be Visa debit cards. However, the Dutch system, and it's it, it's where we struggled um, a few years ago, went to Dordrecht and a few other places, is that they are very particular about the type of card they accept. Um, and again, given the COVID regulations, I was standing with my uh, four different types of potential debiting cards to use. One was MasterCard, three were Visa. Yeah. Uh, none of which were accepted, and I just took it for granted because of the UK, because of the states that that it would be. Um, so I've got four cards I can't use. I've got all the money in my accounts possible to use, and I've got as a backup a wallet full of euros, which they wouldn't accept uh, given COVID regulations. So although the facilities were great, and again, it's something that I could have looked into a bit better, I was standing with a very hungry child and I, I genuinely couldn't get him anything to eat at that point. Yeah. Um, and we had to sit at the Amsterdam game asking for uh, cups of tap water. Um, so that wasn't ideal, but it's something that I know I spoke to you gents on my return. Um, it's maybe something we can look into about a maestro card or gaining access. Because when I spoke to the, I spoke to two or three people at two or three different clubs it's like two or three people across the clubs that, that I visited, and it seemed to be this is almost a service that's rolled out by banks to clubs that it's meant to be better for them to operate this system, this cardless maestro system. It's just that if you're visiting from the UK, you're not going to have much much cop, I'm afraid. I, th I think on that point, uh, and I know Dave Senior will agree with me on this, we... We owe some thanks to a chap we came across at a Sparta-Rotterdam game before who willingly traded some euros to put it onto his card, which allowed us to have a 
a light refreshment or maybe a, an alcoholic refreshment at the at the Sparta game. So that, that's good. But big tip there is to go and get the Maestro card. A, a lot of the clubs used to do sort of tokens and that in, in their stadiums as well. So, yeah. It, in, interested as well, if I could ask, uh, you're obviously with a young, with Archie, a young, young lad. Um, how, how did you get around the city going to different grounds? Uh, I'm a very bad parent, Alan. I'm not nice to him at all. So when I was able to, to arrange the games, I felt it was best to try and keep it on foot as best as I could. Um, and selfishly, I thought if the three guy had his had his um, had his way, I'm sure it would have been Ubers all the way or the metro system. However, we managed to find all these games in basically two kilometres of city centre, um, which can be a bit of a pain for a, a small child to walk. However, I also seen it as a great chance to just see the city as we yeah. were moving in, in between the games. Um, and again, sorry there, that SDZ club, just looking at the map there, oh, looks like the other side of Wester Park, was it? Yes. Through there, it's superb, isn't it? It's, uh, there's yeah. like a brewery or two there as well, but there's some other <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think nice place to go for a walk. <laughs> it's, it's so strange that you would ever think about a brewery, Dave. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely beautiful park to walk in. You're, you're spot on. Um, lots of even just fenced off areas for dogs to, to go walking your dogs, uh, and then areas just for cyclists, you know, areas for fun if you're into that type of thing. Um, but you know, like, like any other park. Lots of works of art, playgrounds, your huge stretches of trees and grass and ponds. Um, lovely. I mean, we didn't really get to explore it. We used it as a, a way to a means. Uh, but no, really, uh, really quite uh, a great big area. You're right. And that's a great start as well. Uh, we'll call it a football hack. Uh, Dave Jr., you've come up with around a bit of maestro card there. And we'll try and make that a regular feature we pass on some top tips from our own experiences following football across across the continent there. I went to ask you, Dave Jr., Amsterdam FC, you know, I'm looking at the, a bit of detail about them. The strip looks quite interesting to me. Was it red and black, the, the strip? Do you know, that's um, really, listeners, we do not pray at all. So the fact that Richard's brought this up is, is spot on. Um, so you're, you're quite correct. It's red and black. Um, and it's actually it's, it's the flag of Amsterdam, which I wasn't aware of. Have you gentlemen seen the? I know that Alan has because I got my wee silly trinket uh, for his Christmas from a shop. But I'm not sure if it's related to the triple X industry, which flourishes uh, in that part of the world. But there's three, you know, there's a red, black, and then you've got three white X's for the Amsterdam flag itself. And we're not talking about just a football team here. We're talking about the city itself. Seems to be that's the flag of the city. Um, so the you know AFC must just have the the strip based off of the flag. Yeah, it, it is, it's it's nothing to do with the that alternative industry that seems to thrive in the city. But I think it's a probably a natural assumption that that people would would make, and the the three X's predate. That that as well, Dave. I'm sure I've, I have read a long time ago about it because I think my nat your natural thought process is that is that a bit odd that they're selling 
flags and trinkets with the three X's on. Are they, are they trying to make a point? But it's yeah, it's un- unrelated, but coincidental. Yeah, and it's not in flashing pink neon or anything, Dave Junior. So it's good to hear. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> the, the other thing I wondered was actually reminded me of the Airdrie strip, or uh, maybe I don't know of a current incarnation, or maybe looking at some older ones. But there's like a diamond or chevron effect in the one. I don't know if that was the, the strip you saw them playing. Uh, Airdrie's quite often twinned with Amsterdam. <laughs> um, I can't remember if I'm being quite honest. I do have. Um, I, I would point out that's the that's the one game we went to when we were given a program, um, which was excellent. Again, it's just uh, everything's in Dutch, but it's great even for the wee guy just to have a sit and flick through. You can identify some players. Uh, you can just again see it's it's a little taste from home. Your programs are. I think they're dying out to an extent. I know there's a whole uh, fandom out there that, that collect them religiously. I know that Alan's quite into that. Um, but programmes are dying out. So to have one from a Dutch lower league game was was pretty cool. Uh, and it was given to us by a uh, security guard slash ticket salesman um, who did point out to me very wryly. He said, we are the number one club in Amsterdam, sir. Um, <laughs> there's no going elsewhere. And I did have to think, Ajax in Amsterdam um, but no he, after a quick look I realised he just had that clever um, little sly grin on his face but um, yeah just a um, it, it was a good strip Richard and I know you, you can appreciate your strips over the years oh, that, no, that looked a pretty nice one to me as well I must say and uh, I like that I like the guy's wry humour there I'm quite a fan of that type as well uh, and the, the ground itself, what kind of size or capacity could you compare it to a, a Scottish ground? Um, I'd need to have a wee check up. I, if one of you are slick enough to maybe even check Wikipedia, my guess would be maybe three or four thousand. Um, although I've just had a, a little chat message on the side from, from Richard to say 8,000. So I guess, yeah, the, the seating at the far side must take that in some standing. I'm quite surprised at eight, if I'm being honest. Uh, to be for full disclosure, that does come from Wikipedia. So make of that what you will. <laughs> that might include people standing in each other's heads. Who knows? But do you think maybe 5,000, 6,000 does maybe feel a bit more like that? I'd have thought so. Um, again, having been to quite a few Sterling Albion games over the years, I wouldn't have said it was too dissimilar from fourth banking ways, but um, that might just have been, yeah. The, the more I think about it, probably you know, there's a whole lot more depth to the uh, the stand than, than at fourth bank. So yeah, eight thousand I wouldn't disagree with, but I would never have guessed it. I'd have thought somewhere around about five or six tops. And what was the crowd for that game? Oh, Richard, you just put him on the spot. <laughs> View the entry open uh, again. Good crowd, but I'm not sure if the eight thousand includes. I mean, three sides were empty. Uh, one side, I'd have thought you'd have been looking at two and a half, three thousand um, as a, as a crowd. Uh, but yeah, again, a lovely, lovely stadium, and I would not hesitate taking you guys along. Pretty easy to get to. Um, again, like all the the setups, it seems to be in in Holland. You know, there's five or six pitches nearby. And by nearby, I really do mean 20, 30 metres away, uh, where maybe youth teams or the women's games are played out. And it, it really is a complex at these stadiums. 
uh, where just all of your all of the sporting needs are carried out. I'm, I'm sure there's perhaps even handball or hockey, uh, which I know are quite popular in, in Holland as well. Uh, I'm sure those facilities exist as they do at Feyenoord when we visited. Any any highlights from the other grounds you visited? Because you, did you do three or four eventually over the weekend? Four games, uh, two, one, two at the, at the Amsterdam and the other two games were real lower league. Uh, with the first one we, we took in was AVV Swift versus SV Uck um, and a five-goal thriller to the away team. Again, great facilities. Uh, and that was that was the wee guys' first game that we took in. Um, I was really pleased. There was a good baseball connection along one side of the pitch. You had, as Dave would refer to, basically bleachers. And you had these lovely old tiered wooden benches, just three three tiers. That was it. Um, literally just three, three sets of benches uh, tiered up. Uh, and we sat there for the first half. There was some incredible European pop music getting played uh, from over the years. And uh, yeah, I'm quite a fan of that era. Anyone listening, there was... So the tune that AVV Swift came out to uh, was by Silver Pozzoli. And I'm not kidding, it's now in my gym playlist. It's just an absolute banger. It is out of this world, and it's what the teams came out to. Uh, just world class. Um, again, beforehand, we were about an hour early to the game. Uh, because we were early, this game wasn't on Footballogy. Uh, but the wee guy and I took in the women's, I think it may have actually been the uh, the ladies' youth team. They all looked maybe kind of mid-teens. Uh, we just took that game in and then wandered over to when the men came out to train, just watching them train. Uh, one of those things, you know, you're trying to get the wee guy into the game. He wears number 15 for his, uh, for his own club side. So we're looking at right, who wears 15, who's this? And um, we even just just some silly fun games beforehand, like who do you think is going to be the best player? It's different, you know. If you're going, if you're taking your son or your daughter to see Chelsea versus Newcastle, you know, more than likely you both know the majority of players on the pitch. But when you turn up to see two, you know, twenty-two players, you don't have a clue what you're going to see. So with a good guess, who's going to be the worst? Who's going to be the best? Uh, who's going to be the hacker of the team? Uh, and we kind of took note of the numbers, and kept tabs on them during the game. So it's just a, a kind of fun game to play. Uh, I, I always appreciate the grizzled 38-year-old centre-back. <laughs> and, and, and quite often these are the guys, they, they've got no ability to run with any speed. But they seem to have like yards around them and the ability to place the ball anywhere. It's, it's almost like they've... They're a wee bit overweight. They've played at a higher level, and they've eventually moved back to playing centre back, where they can control the game without building up a sweat. Um, I, I mean, you made my career, Alan. Did <laughs> <laughs> the grizzled aspect anyway? <laughs> you could be disappointed because the, the players across all the games that we've seen, even at that lower level, you're talking about early twenties. Uh, gents, really fat, really yeah. kind of well built. Um, you know they know their trade. It's not like perhaps over here um, yeah. you've got a few debatable appearances. So we watched the first half on the bleachers, and the second half there was a balcony um, as part of the complex where you could get food and drink um, and just overlook 
what you watch the game from this perfect little balcony. Uh, absolutely wonderful. So we we enjoyed that before making our way. Um, made, that night we we made our way over to the Amsterdam FC game, um, and that's that's what's seen out our Saturday. Uh, and on Sunday, we, we made our way uh, through the park, as Dave mentioned, to take in SDZ uh, against VV Colting Boys. Uh, really interesting game, two one to the home team. Again, various games going on. You can see one team across every pitch had the same colour of tops on. It must be the, the SDZ uh, uniforms. Uh, again, very similar to maybe St Myrne. Um, and watching watching the game take place was actually running up one length of uh, of the pitch in amongst the trees was a jungle gyms. Just tyre swings, rope bridges, all sorts for the kids. I thought just Again, out of this world, um, the the complex for fans to go into at half time. Fantastic drinks and food if you could buy them at this point. Uh, by which point we had made sure we popped into the local supermarket and, and brought our own food. Um, but yeah, S S Z G, really interesting, um, crazy, a crazy super van super fan confronted us both <laughs> during the game. Um, it's one of those universal languages that you know, just transcends all football fans. But this guy just came over to me and started shouting in my face, um, kind of real sort of spitting and spluttering. And I could tell he maybe wasn't all there. Um, and as soon as he walked away from us, um, a few other fans, a few metres away, just turned around to me and gave me that look like, yeah, he does that. That's him. He does that to everyone. It's just your turn. Um, because as soon as I spoke English, he, he just buggered off. Um, but no, again, a good wee set up, 2-1 to the home team. Uh, and that was the final game uh, of the trip. Fantastic. wanted to ask you as well, Dave Jr., obviously we are quite familiar with Dutch football and, and Dutch football is famed worldwide for its particular style. Although you were watching quite a wide, wide variety of kind of skill levels and actually of genders. Did you see that common Dutch style? Was it there in all those teams that you saw? It, do you know, Richard, it was. Um, it may just be that this was a trip that I had to take in sober, so I was able to appreciate it that bit more. But the football was just really good. Um, the the SZ, sorry, the SDZ game, really high wins, which might have forced them into, into keeping the ball low, but Again, across all the games that we watched, just a good, a real good, solid level of skill. Um, I think we were all impressed with that in games that we took in before. Uh, but yeah, I, again, it, it was replicated throughout. Really fit young men, just playing their trade. Fantastic. And obviously, the so the, the football was definitely a winner then, Dave Jr. What about the, the travel experience and accommodation and stuff like that? What tips would you have? So it's a it's a really good point. One thing I did mean to mention, we started to notice that a lot of these smaller grounds, the Ajax badge, which accompanied a lot of the the own team's livery, um, it was never pimped out in any way, but it was quite clear that some of these clubs were affiliated in some way with Ajax. So whether or not a bit like the baseball system we talk about, um, you know, Alan knows a, a good bit more about that all these teams down the lower leagues, I wonder if Ajax 
have a say in how these teams play or perhaps farming players out over the years um, to, to sort of help them, you know, keep, this is the Ajax way of football, uh, this is how we do things. Uh, but I'm not sure if that rings a bell, Richard. Well, actually, that makes an awful lot of sense because I was looking at particularly Amsterdam FC and their kind of notable players of years gone by. And in recent years, uh, Daley Blind, son of Danny Blind, uh, Maxime Hullet, son of Ruth Hullet, and Justin Clivert, son of Patrick Clivert, three, Amsterdam, three Ajax legends, all started their youth career with Amsterdam FC rather than Ajax, it appears. And I wonder if because just how famous their fathers were at Ajax, whether it's maybe felt there could be less pressure on them or it might be better them having the opportunity to learn their youth football while still in the same city, but over at Amsterdam FC rather rather than Ajax where their, their fathers are some of the greatest players of the last half century. Yeah, um, really good point. I'm, I've actually I've just dug out the, the programme whilst I'm talking to you, and although I didn't give it a whole lot of uh, due diligence at the, the game itself, I was just looking for any sign of, you know, uh, subsidiary of, of Ajax. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good point. Again, if, if you can have this farming system to bring your players through, uh, if it's in the same city, you've got so many different tiers of abilities there. If it's down to, down to with, with air quotations, uh, a, a team three divisions down from Ajax, or if you're looking at even beneath that, where the standard was still quite quite clearly of a, of a really high one. Um, yes, it's, it's probably the way to go. might be easy in Ajax with the one big team in a city where you can sort of govern things a bit better. Uh, I don't know if the other big boys in Holland have got that luxury. Um, you wouldn't be able to do that in Glasgow, um, I, I, I would imagine. Uh, but no, it's a really interesting way to go. Again, just another example of uh, our admiration of Dutch football. And, and mm-hmm. Richard was asking there about the, the hotel and the travel. Any tips? Yeah. Um, so again, I've got a whole bunch of snaps. I'm not sure. I know that you you run a blog, Alan. Which you, could, have you got the link there, or how people could follow that at all? Yeah, I'll put the I'll put the link on there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, there's maybe some pictures that I can send you to to add to it. Um, but I booked you know, everything. Sorry, I should really go back to the start. Um, the whole trip was a surprise to the wee guy. Took him out of school early. He didn't have a clue where he was going um, until you know my mum and dad drove us to the airport. And I think it, you know we've got a bit of a a love of caravan holidays. So I think as we headed towards Edinburgh Airport, I started laying a false trail of hints that we're going down to Berwick. Um, and we turned into the airport, and you could really see him quite confused. So, again, I kept it completely quiet where we were going. Um, sadly, because our flight was delayed and it became the last flight of the night, when it came to sitting there in the departure lounge, there was one flight left, say, in Amsterdam. So he, he knew by that point. Um, but I even kept the hotel up my sleeve. And that was for good reason. So I hadn't told a single soul. Now, the, the place we went to was called the Botel. Um, B-O-T-E-L and this was fantastic absolutely fantastic and again it, it plays in with uh, the transport system uh, in Amsterdam itself we arrived in Amsterdam Central um, and I looked into it ahead uh, sorry, beforehand but there's a, a terrific ferry service 
uh, which looks after central Amsterdam. Bear in mind, we picked, we got the last, sorry, the second last ferry of the night, quarter to 12, and you're still looking at a couple of hundred people on this one ferry. Um, and that's just one ferry. There's on that one route, there's still other ones operating at that point. And it took us across to what's called the NDSM Wharf, which for lack for you know for want of a better phrase, it's a bit of a hipster type of place. Lots of um, independent food places, lots of little microbreweries, uh, a whole lot of artwork, um, you know, from graffiti to just you know all just all types of stuff uh, in this particular area. They're very very proud of it in Amsterdam. Um, it's it's fantastic to rock up and see just so so many um, so many just out there uh, pieces of art out in the open. Uh, to be appreciated for free and as we made our way in the ferry, pitch black uh, the wee guy could see our hotel in the horizon and it's effectively it's an old boat uh, which is harboured um, and you, so you're staying on this boat uh, looking out across the water every morning when you wake up and it just it added to the experience, if you think about an 11 year old boy travelling to Amsterdam all his pals are still at school um, I know it was a bit naughty, but of course at this point they're probably in bed. Um, but you know, where do you stay in this kind of fantasy breakaway? A boat. So he was he was over the moon um, and a bit giddy uh, about that as well. So Boatel, if you ever get a chance to look it up in Google, it's it it is even better than it looks, and it was really reasonable rates. Um, if you look at the actual Boatel itself, there's huge. Letters B O T E L at the top of the the boat. We didn't realise until afterwards, but you can actually book those letters or rooms as well. Uh, each letter is a um, so each each one of the the five letters is a room. Wow. One one room in itself, and I think you, you know you pay through the nose for it. It looks out across. Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the is it the the Ish? the the Ish? The I, the IJ. The I, yeah, the I. Yeah. Uh, the kind of water body running through Amsterdam. Is it um, directly but, opposite the, um, more or less, the the central station, isn't it? You can, you can get the ferries, three the ferries you get over there to the Nord district. Yep, yeah. everything's, everything's free. Um, and again, with yeah. the, the populace of Amsterdam uh, so well-versed in bikes, these things are loaded up with bikes. Um, and I'm not kidding, it's, I'd always think if it was this country, it'd be a shambles. Um, but the ferries pull in, split second, you've got hundreds of people off that. Um, and again, within mere minutes, you've got the ferry full again and it's taken off. And it's just seamless. There's no issues. There's no no hassle. It's just absolute quality. Um, runs like clockwork. Certainly whets the appetite again, doesn't it, uh... To get yeah. back there, so fantastic trip and well, well done for for navigating it. It's okay. Just again for those that aren't too familiar with Amsterdam, just to give you an idea, when when the wee guy and I were on foot through the city, again without even having to go out of our way, you're coming across you know Anne Frank's house, the Van Gogh Museum, Martin Luther King Park, uh, West Western Park that Dave mentioned earlier. Um, just you know this wharf with all the artwork. The palace, Amsterdam itself, is just incredible. Although 
uh, as a little amusing note, um, we, if you bear in mind, this was November. Can you remember what was happening the first week in November in Glasgow? The COP26. Oh. Yep. So we arrived in Amsterdam as the the day that they were protesting uh, all the COP26 stuff. So we, we left Glasgow to only arrive uh, slap bang in the centre of more protests, more people out and about. Uh, just couldn't escape it wherever we went. Um, you know, again, Madame Tussauds. You guys know all the, the sort of popular tourist attractions. Uh, the one time that we had to to use the transport system coming home, the metro, again, out of this world, fantastic, on and off. Uh, even the wee guy was, was so impressed with, with how easy it was. Um, so like had... Oh, no, just going to say, and even uh, a couple of... So just try to cram a couple of more things in before we, before we wrap up. Um, uh, a couple of real independent football shops there. Uh, Copa, C-O-P-A, with this absolute vast range of retro tops on sale, which uh, we spent about an hour in there before it was conned out of uh, 460 euros for a 1983 Roma kit, which was really good. Um, and I picked myself up a little Dutch number. Um, and, and there was also... Um, is it very quite really quite interesting? I encourage you guys to have a look at the website, Klabu. Um, so K L A A B U, uh, I think that's the spelling, and they are heavily invested in two or three parts of the world. They're a charitable organisation that have done all sorts of collaborations with Barca, with PSG. I think they're involved with Ajax, um, and it's towards helping refugees find a little bit of respect in life um, through sports. Um, so they had a shop in the middle of Amsterdam. And again, you could buy some of their uh, football replica shirts uh, with the Klabu sort of regalia all, all over it. And I think they've got some in with, you can use them in some of the FIFA games on the PlayStation and Xbox. Uh, but again, the wee guy was just really fascinated at seeing all these football and Dutch relevancies that he's 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 brought home and um, just to bring it full circle to the start of the conversation, to leave him with some strong memories of not only Holland, but of Amsterdam, but of football. Um, and it's, it's memories that it's only a couple of months ago, but he still uh, waxes lyrical about them now. What a fantastic way to start our first, the first of this new podcast that we've launched. Thank you very much for that, Dave Jr. And it sounds like both you and your lad would have scored that 10 out of 10 from the sense of things. Yes, uh, 10 croquettes out of 10. <laughs> Fantastic. And what, what better scale could there be? Uh, and you're also right, I'm, I'm really glad you highlighted Klabu as well. They do incredible work empowering refugees and supporting them around the world. And, and the kits themselves are very nice looking too. There's a nice orange one for you, Alan, a nice green one for me, so we'll possibly have to do some shopping there, and a nice white number as well for Yorkshire Dave, very reminiscent of uh, his favourite team too, so any football fan would be catered for and look very smart in some of that Klabu kit. We'll pick up some of them. Klabu clobber. Oh, one thing I didn't mention, and you can, you can get it in the UK, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, I hadn't realised it was Dutch. I knew that it was expensive. Uh, Tony's chocolate. Have you ever seen it? I don't know, Richard, you must be on Google just now, but if you 
if you pull up Tony's chocolate, I can't remember if there's an E after the N, but I've seen it in supermarkets for years. Uh, it was only in Amsterdam we realised that it was Dutch. Um, and we tried it out because it's a lot cheaper over there. And, oh, out of this world. <laughs> but no, it's just absolutely, you know, it was great. Um, it, there's so much, even each of those monuments or museums, Arch and I went to and just, we, we didn't go in, um, but we, uh, he, you know, he was actually taken aback by, and I'm going to butcher this, so I'm glad that we're not record or we're not live, Bikes Museum. Is that, does that ring a bell? The R-I-J-K-S. Yeah. Um, so when you're heading out of Amsterdam, it's before you come up to Martin Luther King Park. Uh, and in the park itself, that's where the Van Gogh Museum is. So yep. it's quite a natural. You head out past the palace, past Anne Frank's. Um, but the, the Rijks Museum, it looked really quite interesting. You actually, it's, it's almost a tunnel going through it. Yeah. Just footfall. Um, and it's and that's where the night watch is, isn't it? The, okay, I don't know the right is it just national museum? Something like that. Uh, um, a lot of this uh, traditional Dutch masters stuff is there. We went to see if it's the same one, we went to see the the uh, night watch, which is this famous huge painting and takes up pretty much one side of the wall. You know, it's, it's amazing, not to be um. Confused with the Reich Museum, <laughs> maybe over I, Berlin. I, I, I haven't looked it up, but I, I assume it's yeah. similar Reich and Reich. You know, very similar. Words. I suppose, yeah, it, it will be when you say it, isn't it? National, the sort of. Um, it, it, I didn't. I only went in the concourse bit, um, but it had a feel to me as like a national museum. Mm. Um, I don't think it was the cheapest because I went, I went, I did the Van Gogh Museum or Van Gogh Museum, and I, I'm, I'm not somebody's not into art. <laughs> That's my favourite art museum in the world. Although I didn't realise he only uses three colours, Van Gogh, which probably helps my brain process it all. No. That, that sunflower painting has only got three colours in it. <laughs> There's my, my art fact. Yeah, well, it, it, it tended to be quite minimalist with eels as well, Alan. So maybe he just like to do things in a spare fashion. Yeah, I suppose I suppose prefer Night Watch by quite a distance to Sunflowers. If you're getting me on the art, not I know a huge amount of them, but I love Night Watch. Yeah, uh, Yorkshire Dave is a classic one. That Rembrandt one. Yeah, it's, it was amazing. You know, you just uh, you, so some people were just staring at it for I would assume hours. You know. Because the, there's so much in it, yeah. I think it's actually just going from memory. I think it's more than it used to be. I don't know whether there was deliberately cut to fit that wall, incredibly, or whether it was one of these paintings that's been attacked, you know, by you know a demonstrator or something like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, that's well worth a visit. I know I, I spoke to Dave, maybe more so than uh, than than you guys, um, on the back of the Amsterdam trip. I know that he's been quite a, a few times with Lorraine, um, but just every side street, you know, walking the canals, the the vintage shops, the little bistros, the little hidden bars, 
it's it's just vast and it's beautiful and it's um, I, I couldn't go over. I've been to Amsterdam with the school years ago and I, I know we've done Rotterdam and I found parts of Rotterdam beautiful as well. But the you know Amsterdam, I, I think that would be just great to go to the four of us. Um, we haven't really done it. No, it's my it is my favourite place really. It's long walk. So there's only one show in town when it comes to news about Major League Baseball. The worry that there might not be Major League Baseball in the 2022 season. Owners and players are at loggerheads and we're facing a lockout situation which is threatening our chances of seeing our White Sox or Tigers or Red Sox and our Mariners strutting their stuff from April onwards. Yorkshire Dave, you're a man who, with experience, you'll possibly even remember some of the past baseball lockouts and strikes, notably the 94-95 strike, which uh, ruined the 94 postseason. Is it too early to start getting worried? Is just just the usual cat and mouse that happens? Yeah, there's been very little about any progress recently, and I don't think there has been any progress. I mean, so basically on the 1st of December, the, the, collect, the current collective bargaining agreement expired normally they just roll it over agree a new one um but there's there's always conflicts between basically you know the owners and the players and um you know the commissioner commissioner manfred he's basically a mouthpiece i think for the owners isn't it and you know you've you've then got the mlb players association who look after the 30 clubs, um, 40 ros- players rostered on each. Yeah, I don't know how far down the way they go, whether it's just the um, 1,200 or so players. I think they've got other considerations. Um, but, yeah, this is the, I suppose, the owner's equivalent of a strike. It was a player strike famously in that 1994 season and there was no World Series as a result of that. This is sort of um, the lockout is the opposite, which is the owners locking out the players, um, preventing any deals being done. There were quite a few deals done in the run-up to that 1st of December. I think uh, I think clubs knew what was happening. So all, you know, but since then, since the lockout, they're not allowed to trade free agents. Those free agents that were free agents at that point, they're still, you know, they're in limbo effectively um they can't use the club facilities and you've got spring training on the horizon you know so 20 february the 25th 26th um so if it goes on much longer you start thinking well if there's a delay in that maybe there will be a delay in the regular season starting which is around about is it 31st of march 1st of april so yeah, it's um, it's a bit precarious. Although I think you know, it, once they start meeting and they get, you know, it could be resolved quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think no. you're right. And I think, from all accounts, there's actually common ground and agreement on quite a lot of issues, and even the ones where there aren't, you know, the minor things getting the universal DH agreed and sorted out some changes to the playoff structure. Apparently, the big ones, not surprisingly are those that impact the kind of bottom line for the players most. So you get free agency, arbitration, 
and some dispute among how the revenue sharing model should work. And I know we probably hear a lot about these mega bucks deals that the top baseball players are on, you know, the big 70 million over five years type deals. But actually the average salary for a major league baseball player has dipped every year since 2017. So yeah. in, in a world where most things keep rising. Yeah, I can believe that. They do, you know, they are saying they're getting a, a smaller slice of an increase in smaller pie, aren't they? But uh, meanwhile, uh, the owners, um, you know, that uh, I think the revenue has gone down in the last few years, couple of years with the COVID affected. But prior to that, I think uh, I think the TV deals was a record one, wasn't it? The last one. Um, so, yeah, I think the owners are doing okay. The top players are doing all right too. But it's true what you say, Richard. The players certainly, you know, uh, the ordinary club players and the ones who are not in the 40-man roster, um, you know, not necessarily that well remunerated. Dave Junior. Uh, it's, it's really interesting, guys, um, the, the points you're talking about there. I was listening to uh, a really good podcast the other day about one of my New Year walks. Um, and they were just, it, it was Americans, and they were talking about their real fear that the MLB is going to fall by the wayside. Um, what is America's pastime? Um, given that if you look across all the other leagues, NFL seems to be marketed and uh, fairly. Uh, NBA is really out there as well. Um, these are all kind of in-your-face sports where the, the personalities are all known. Whereas in baseball, that player power, and again, it's it's hard because you're talking about guys that earn multi-multi-million pounds, which we just can't really comprehend. And you think that anything at that level is greedy, perhaps. Um, but when you look at it in comparison to other sports, the amount that these guys put in, um, and it's more, they were talking about more the middle players. The top players seem to do reasonably well, but the middle players, that's where they're worried uh, and where they really want to sort out this free agency issue. Um, but one of the other parts that this podcast was talking about is the owners over the years make a lot of money. Uh, and in particular, the one thing that the players uh, and the players' union, if, if you can call it that, try to point out is that the years that certain teams tank. Um, which I'm pretty sure, maybe, yeah. I don't know if Boston would have, maybe Boston are the one out of the four of us that wouldn't have tanked. I might be wrong there. Um, but I know that the three of us have perhaps had teams that have suffered over the years or chosen to suffer with a lower wage roll. Um, so they were talking about these these teams that choose to tank for a few years. And if you've gone from a wage bill of, say, $100 you know, million, which isn't a lot, by the way, in in baseball standards, if you're suddenly operating at 30, 40 million, well, guess where that 60 million dollars went uh, of fans' money? It goes straight into the owners' pockets over that period of time. So that's, and that's when when they started to explain these things, that's where I started to think, well, actually, maybe maybe some more of that could be making its way to, to the players themselves. That's really interesting. I'd never really thought about it. The finances, Fascinated me because my comparison is always with football clubs where you make a pretty basic and I think realistic assumption that football club owners lose money. Uh, I know there's been a preponderance of Americans coming into the English Premiership and, and putting money in. And I think a lot of that I always thought was driving for the glory. But I don't think 
football club owners generally make money and it never crossed my mind that yeah you choose to tank for a few years because you've not got a, a playoff team or a championship winning team so you then think actually let's our revenues are 100 million let's half our wage bill um, tank get ourselves a few good draft picks and all that money goes in my back pocket yeah uh, that, that might be a minus in terms of just just thinking aloud in the, the franchise system, because there's no sort of jeopardy for these clubs. Uh, so that, you know, yeah. Whereas in Scottish and English football, um, you, you can't deliberately uh, tank or run a losing team because you'll get relegated and you'll lose out on all the sponsorship and TV money. Whereas um, you know these clubs are guaranteed their slice of a of a pretty big pie. Was it worth ten billion dollars or something? Where, where does the money come from? Is it does it come from TV? Because when I watch games and the teams I'm watching, there's generally not big crowds and they're not charging top dollar to get in. A lot of the sponsorship deals, and again, this may be a bit naive, seem to come from the owners' own own business interests, which probably replicates what happens at Ross County a bit as well in, in the football world. So is, is it TV money? I think it must be, you know, because I think there's been a decline in the attendances, hasn't there, the last few years? Um, so, um, uh, and the last TV deal, I didn't, I didn't write it down actually, but I'm pretty sure the last TV deal was significantly better than previous years, um, but they are worried about this, this, the state of the game in terms of its popularity, aren't they? Because they're, they're, you know, they're wanting to in, increase the uh, on-field product, as the, the businessmen who run sport will insist on calling it a, a product. And I think Richard mentioned the DH. You know, I think that something that they want to liven up. I think the average game time worries them because, uh, you know, um, people's attention and the time they've got in busy lives, you know, can you, the average game is over three hours and they play pretty much every day. Uh, can fans really give up all that time? Uh, yeah. And there's, and there's a real parallel there, Yorkshire, Dave, with your beloved game of cricket as well, because England's current misfortune uh, in Australia, which continues is, in a lot of people's opinion, directly related to the, the shift away from the first-class county game, where games last for four days, you know, numerous days, just like test level, into that shorter, sharper, more TV-friendly yeah. T20 and, and the 100 format as well. And and I guess what you're saying is that baseball is maybe wrestling with that same kind of dilemma, or will have to. Yeah, I'm almost certain that, uh, you know, that's uh, they're looking at ways... Um, to to as I improve their products, but you know, as a traditionalist, you know, that's what I love about baseball. When I first started going there in in the in the 90s, that it basically was the same game that uh, they were watching a hundred years previous to that. You know, it's a, it's pretty much uh, there have been some different rule changes, but effectively. People are watching exactly the same sort of game as we're watching in the 19th century. So, um, but this isn't good enough for uh, the people that run baseball and uh, 
you know, they want to spice it up a bit. Fair enough, but and not at the expense of um, really ruining what rightly said was America's pastime. Yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, I'm l- looking at it from the perspective of traveling this year and hopefully seeing a few games this year. So it's sad having not been able to for a couple of years that we have an opportunity to travel, but we might not see games. We're we're fairly minor cogs in that massive wheel, really, aren't we? So it's um, the, the money men will perhaps call a lot of these shots. Well, let's hope there's a few weeks, I think, they're talking about maybe the start of February, if they can strike a deal by then, spring training can proceed in the way it would it would normally do as well. And, and a final thought, Yorkshire Dave, on that piece, is sometimes the best way to improve things is just to leave well alone. So uh, that's where I stand. I'm a traditionalist like yourself. I think that would be a, I think they've got something very, very unique. And, and, and surely in that huge market of the United States and MLBs reach across the world, there must be room to have something just a little bit different, you know. But uh, I know others, I remember Campbell when he was on previously, Campbell McLaren, talking about ideas they'd had to kind of speed up the game and, and I guess that will be a conversation that continues. But uh, yeah, let's just t- all of us hope that we'll be back to talking about baseball being played in the near future. Mm-hmm.